as a father, come from the lips of my children, is this phrase, I'm starving. I'm starving, Dad. I'm so hungry. Is there anything to eat in this place? I promise you, my children are not starving in the normal sense of the word. Uh, they are not in a time of famine. Uh, the longest that they've gone without eating is from the time that they fall asleep to the time that they wake up. And even then, especially our youngest Phoebe, if she wakes up in the middle of the night, uh, she's three, and sometimes she says, I can't go back to sleep because I'm starving and I need something to eat. And so I got to go to the refrigerator and get like one blueberry and bring it back to satisfy the tongue my children are not undergoing any sort of actual famine in their house, even though they would maybe tend to disagree from time to time. However, last week in his sermon, Pastor Kevin used the phrase, it feels, it feels as though in our country and maybe in larger swaths of the world that we are undergoing what could be called a hope famine. A hope famine. A hope famine. It sure does feel like there's a hope famine that exists in our culture today. But Pastor Kevin so aptly reminded us that we're not starving for hope. As Christian people, we have the very bread of life that Jesus promises to be forever, the sustenance of life, our source of hope and healing and life and love and peace now and forever. We're not starving, and Jesus is intending, working on drawing the entirety of the world that is starving for hope to himself, and he's using you and me to draw others to himself. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis. Last summer, 25 verses in this summer, or 25 chapters in this summer, 25 chapters. Last week, we left off reading Genesis chapter 41, where we heard that Joseph, who is in Egypt, was brought up out of prison to interpret a dream of Pharaoh, the guy in charge of Egypt, because Pharaoh had this troubling dream. And Joseph was gifted by God to interpret this dream, and Joseph interpreted the dream by saying, Joseph, or, Pharaoh, your dream means that there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest, and then there's going to be seven years of immense famine throughout the world. Pharaoh trusted Joseph's interpretation, and so he elevated Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt with this important task of filling the storehouses for seven years and then discharging and selling food to those who come to Egypt during the seven years of famine. Joseph has had quite the roller coaster ride during his 20 years in Egypt. He came to Egypt sold there as a slave by his very own brothers. And then he was purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who was a high-ranking official in the Egyptian government. And then through uh, some false accusations, Joseph was kicked out of that position and thrown into prison. And now he's lifted up out of prison and is second in command in all of Egypt. Quite the ride for Joseph. And as chapter 41 draws to a close and we open up to chapter 42 and 43, which is our section for today, this seven-year famine that's supposed to affect the whole world is 
happening. The world is now in famine, and it's spreading over the whole earth. Joseph's father, Jacob, lives in what is now modern-day Israel, at that time called the land of Canaan, not far from Egypt, but far enough. And the famine has reached there as well, and Jacob and his family are hungry. So Jacob gathers his sons, and he prepares to send them down to Egypt to purchase grain for their family. And as he's talking to his sons, he says, I'm going to send 10 of you. I'm going to keep the youngest son, Benjamin, with me. It's not that Benjamin is too young to go. It's that Benjamin held a very special place in Jacob's heart. See, Benjamin and Joseph, the one who's in Egypt, share something in common. Uh, Those two boys have the same mom. The other sons have other moms. Yeah, Joseph and Benjamin have the same mom. Their mom's name was Rachel. And Rachel sadly died while giving birth to Benjamin. So after Rachel died, the favorite wife of Jacob, once she died and once Joseph was gone in Egypt, Benjamin had a special place in Jacob's heart and and, and Jacob could not bear to lose this son as well. So Benjamin stayed home for the first trip and the 10 sons went down to Egypt to purchase grain. Those 10 men, they're hungry, literally. They're helpless. They're humbled because of their position. And they're just reaching out for that one last straw of hope. They come to Egypt begging for food begging for help, begging for mercy, hoping for hope. And Joseph gives it to them. Joseph gives them what they need. That's sparing you a lot of the details from Genesis 42 and 43. Today I'm going to spare you the details. I'm not going to go into all of the details. It's It's good, dramatic reading. If you haven't read it, go home and read it, Genesis 42 and 43, because there's a lot of testing the waters, there's imprisonment, there's holding people as collateral, there's this back and forth, there's deals being made and exchanges happening. You should read it, but I'm going to spare you the details today, because the long and short of it is this. Joseph is second in command of Egypt. He's got all the power all the authority to do what he wants to whoever comes to him asking for food. And when his 10 brothers show up, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And you can only imagine after dealing with the 20 years of results from their sale of him into slavery that he would probably have a bone to pick with them. But he didn't. Instead of seeking retribution, Joseph, in the long run, sought reconciliation. Why? Why? Because God ultimately would not falter on his promises. That's the story of Genesis. God does not falter on his promises. God made a promise to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham that through this family line, all nations of the earth would be blessed. 
And God is going to see to it that through this family line, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And he's not going to let Joseph's deserved retribution get in the way. Instead, what God does is he softens Joseph's heart. And instead of moving him towards anger and retribution, he moves in his heart to a place of compassion for his brothers. Two different times in this story. Once in chapter 42, when the brothers first come, and then again in 43, when they come back again, and this time bringing Benjamin with. Both times, Joseph has to leave the room to go off by himself and weep. To weep over the situation. Because he has deep compassion for his brothers it says. When there could have been division and retribution, instead there was compassion and reconciliation. You and I were like those brothers starving in our sin, in this hope famine. Without Jesus, what do we have? The answer is nothing. We are hungry, helpless, humbled, and just reaching out for that one last glimpse of hope. And I pray, Christian brothers and sisters, those of you who claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you go to the one source of hope, who is Jesus, and he says to the world, I am the bread of of life, as we heard proclaimed last week, and I tell you again, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. If you don't know Jesus, if you're struggling to figure out who Jesus is and whether you believe in him or not, I'll simply say to you, what hope is this world giving you? Not much. I would say none that lasts for eternity. But when you look to Jesus, he promises to offer you a hope that is unlike any other hope, a life that's unlike any other life. And so when we come to Jesus begging for food, begging for mercy, hoping for hope, just like Joseph gave to his brothers, Jesus gives to us the very bread of life. But that bread cannot stay with us. We cannot be people who are starving and then get fed something wonderful and become gluttonous. You can't go from starving for Jesus to being gluttonous with Jesus and holding it all for yourself. Now you've got to spread the bread. <laughs> you've got to spread the bread. Spread the bread around. Share it with others in need. Give to those who are hungry. And how do we do this? By acting out of compassion, like Joseph. By forgiving, like Jesus. By seeking unity and healing in all relationships. When we see division in the world, we need to be like Joseph and weep in compassion and grief that the world is like this. It ought to move us to our core to say this is not right. 
And I don't want to participate or cause further division or damage. I am so grieved and moved to compassion and tears over this division that I want to bring healing and hope and unity through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ that he first gave to us through the cross. Reconciliation. I keep saying that word. I should probably explain what it means. That's one of those church words we sometimes throw around. Reconciliation. Would you do something for me? Take your hands and go like this. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not moving until you move your hands. Okay? I see you at home. Put your hands like this. Now put them and lock them together. You just reconciled your hands. <laughs> Okay, you put back together that which was separated. That's what it means to reconcile. Something that's separated, you bring it back together. That's reconciliation. Okay. Joseph, in our story today, sought reconciliation with his brothers. If you read the story, it may not seem like it at first. He's a little slow to act. We'll, we'll give him a little bit of grace here. But he sought reconciliation with his brothers. Jesus reconciled the world to himself. This is what we read in our epistle lesson today, what we heard read, that, that, that God, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself. What does sin do? What did sin do originally? It separated us from God. So what does Jesus do? He reconciles us to the Father. This is what we read in 2 Corinthians 5. God reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation by being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the, let me say it again, we have the ministry of reconciliation. What if all Christian people acted as though we actually had the ministry of reconciliation? to be grieved and compassionate when there's division and work at all costs to bring unity in Jesus. This is so countercultural. We are so quick, so quick to jump on the division bandwagon. So quick to make snap judgments and cause division. So quick to say things like, oh, I see what kind of opinion you have about masks. <laughs> I see what kind of person you are. I know everything about you and how you think. I know your entire worldview, and therefore, because you have that opinion, I know that I'm never going to hang out with you again. Our kids cannot play. We're never going to be able to have a reasonable conversation about anything. And if I see you on social media, I'm snoozing you for 30 days. Or, you're planning on voting for who? What? What's wrong with your head? Don't you, don't you know what he said and, and did and plans on doing? How in the world could you think like that? I guess we can never be friends. Our kids can't play together. And if I ever see you on social media again, I'm snoozing you for 30 days or blocking you forever. So quick, man. So quick. 
So easy to jump, to snap conclusions, judge one another, and cause rifts and division. As Christians, we cannot model or participate in dividing an already divided world. That is not our role. That is not our role. We must model reconciliation at all costs. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Work for Jesus. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. That sounds like a British government agency, right? You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ working in the department of the ministry of reconciliation. I thought about making like sheriff's badges for you guys that said ambassador for Christ, ministry of reconciliation. But I had that idea yesterday and so I didn't really have time. So you can go home and do cardboard cutouts and, you know, make that for yourselves. But think about it. Operate that way in this world. Always, at all times, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. The one the one who could have sought retribution for you, but yet instead bought you back, giving it all up, offering you grace and mercy and hope and life. Why would you not give it to others? We've got to spread the bread. I don't want to go from being starving for Jesus to being a glutton of Jesus. We must give this source of hope and eternal life to the world that so desperately needs it. Jesus is our source of hope. He's our source of healing. He's our source of life. Let us be what we have been called to be, and that is ambassadors for Christ in the ministry of reconciliation, being moved by compassion when we see division, not seeking retribution, but always at all costs working towards reconciliation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.